Welcome, welcome, welcome to your favorite podcast, A Play on Nerds, coming back at you again, uh, this time with some great content, of course, and I'm Jarman, and welcome here with my co-host, who are you, Steve? I'm Steve, <laughs> that's that right, intro. we better be your favorite. <laughs> yes, we're back again, and this time we're covering a, a special movie that's coming out uh, soon called Firestarter, as you might know, is a remake of the 1984 classic Firestarter, based off the book by Stephen King. So, and what a classic it is. Oh, yeah. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the old movie so you can enjoy the new remake when it comes out this weekend, I believe. That way you don't even have to see the old one. You just listen to this podcast. Yeah. You'll get it covered. And be done. With the famous Drew Barrymore uh, in her second role ever. So it's interesting. Very young. But before we get started, we have a little bit of feedback from our lovely Ooh. listeners. Uh, this is from our friend of the show uh, and fellow podcaster, uh, Daniel Peter Hitch. He says, uh, this is in regards to, I believe, uh, our The One episode. Our last, okay. And uh, he, cause he also remind me what he's talking about, Steve. He says, uh, Play on Nerds just made me howl with laughter in their latest episode, 145. Okay, 145. Uh, Steve says, hey, blank looks like Bill Paxson if he gives up on his dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis. Because <laughs> Daniel put in the thing, he says he, and he put in uh, parentheses, listen to the episode to find out who. Looks like Bill Paxton. If he gave uh, up okay. <laughs> that's, he's great. He's pulling people into the episode. They have to listen. That's to That's right. Out. But that's absolutely true. It's right. We're in a podcast filled with mystery. Oh, God. That was a great, uh, a great burn. That was <laughs> oh, thank you, Dave. <laughs> but Steve, before we get started in the show, what, what have you been up to since our last episode? <laughs> oh, man, nothing. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> nah, just getting into sort of busier season at work. Both of my D and D games canceled this week, mm. so that's a that's a bummer. Yeah, those are just nebulous reasons, and I've got tomorrow off. Hey, so that's all good stuff. Yeah, as we're recording this, folks, it's gonna be Mother's Day uh, this weekend. So, mm-hmm. uh, Steve, you were gonna go off on a Mother's Day trip, but that got we canceled. Were. <laughs> yes, after Easter, we decided otherwise. Mm-hmm. Oh, exciting news though! Our building, as of today got cards for the laundry machines instead of quarters hey so we don't have to, to i don't have to go to a barcade have a single beer and then steal 80 dollars of quarters every couple <laughs> weeks anymore that's hilarious i have one beer and i get hit the change machine like four times in different corners so i don't feel as bad about it oh my god yeah no see, more. That's, that's california living because over here in florida i just have a washer and dryer in my house you know some people have them here too <laughs> it's not like the wild west out here or anything i'm a little bit sometimes so what have you been up to oh well you've been busy yeah by the time this show airs i think it'll be already happening but i've been preparing for uh, a fringe show fringe festival show that i'm doing here in florida and I'm co-writing, co-producing, co-directing, co-acting in it with one other person. And then uh, two people are helping us produce it. And it's just a lot of work, more than I ever expected. And I have to memorize half of a one-hour play myself. That's kind of hard, too. I'm starting memorization tomorrow. 
Uh, but we've been rehearsing and it's pretty funny. Uh, waiting for Gadot, as I've talked about in the show before. We're both waiting for Gal Gadot to show up at a movie premiere and it's, uh, it's funny and it's good. We got our props are all in. We got our postcards for advertising and posters to put up places and it's just, it's a lot of work. But, you know, we're hoping to make some good money when people come to see it and then that people like it and uh, that it gets. I, I hope people are going to be eager to go out and do anything. Yeah. Here in Florida, like, man, I, it's a different story. I'm hoping Fringe <laughs> will have an even bigger thing because people are just excited. Yeah, because last year, Fringe, Fringe Festival did happen, but it was uh, a mixed bag, all masked and everybody was staying away from each other. And they still fit, felt like it was dangerous. There's less people there. But this year, kind of all bets are off. I think everyone's kind of coming back. And so it'll be almost back to normal again, whether it should be or not. So that's kind of the way it is. Yeah, that's the way it is. But yeah, that's what I'm up to, pretty much. But now I think it's time for some nerdy news. Nerdy news. It's time for nerdy news. All right, this week on Nerdy News, to keep you up to date on pop culture and what's going on, I've got some upcoming movie sequels that you may not know about or just may not care about. <laughs> so let's let's go over some of the upcoming movies that for some reason are getting follow-ons. Predator 5. Oh. Prey. <laughs> it's uh, being helmed by the 10 Cloverfield Lane director, Dan Trachtenberg. So that makes me a little hopeful. That was a good movie. I love 10 Cloverfield Lane. I'm not sure how that translates to a Predator film. Yeah. I mean, more personal or more, I don't know, intimate. <laughs> uh, Hocus Pocus 2 mm. is coming your way. And I didn't know this, but apparently the first one really bombed at the box office. Yeah. And then it got a cult following. And I'm, a lot of people here, I, I know, can't stop talking about it. <laughs> I kind of remember it being a big Halloween movie, though. Like, maybe I'm wrong from my childhood or remembering with childhood glasses. But yeah. I don't know. People love it now. So they've been begging for the sequel for a long time. Another Disney entry, Disenchanted, the sequel to Disney's Enchanted. Oh, I loved Enchanted. It was adorable. Where they come to the real world from Disney like character land. And you have James Marsters, I think is his name, who played Cyclops in the X-Men franchise. He's he's, yeah. he's a prince and he sings and he's it was fantastic. I think it's just going to take place now. And they've been in our world for long enough that they like hate it and they want to go back to fairy tale land. <laughs> That'd be smart. And they somehow do it, but then they realize that real life was better after all. That's definitely going to be the exact plot. I think you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this one I'm actually very excited about. Attack the Block 2. Wow, that's been a long time coming. That was a long time ago. Well, especially after the sudden popularity of John Boyega. Yeah. With Star Wars, I kind of expected this to come sooner since this was one of his few big projects before that. Yeah, if you haven't it's just, seen it's it, it's taken a lot longer than I would have expected. Uh, people out there, if you haven't seen it, it's basically John Boyega, like the start of his career before Star Wars. And he's with his full Cockney British accent, like in a poor neighborhood of London, but then aliens attack. And so it's like, how do these like, you know, you know, lower income people who are like on the streets deal with you know, an invasion of aliens? Yeah. And it's pretty it's much more low key. It's low budget, certainly. Yeah. Um, but uh, but very enjoyable. I highly recommend Recommend Attack the Block, and I'm excited for the sequel. It was very fun, yeah. The Exorcist is getting a sequel, or maybe a reboot. Huh. It's from the same people that recently did the Halloween trilogy. Okay. And like, revamped that, and apparently they are doing the same thing with The Exorcist. That sounds unnecessary. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how that translates. Because the new uh, reboot kind of thing of Halloween was okay. It was all right. It was okay. Yeah. It was hard, yeah. It was all right. Uh, Legally Blonde 3. Oh, no. Because <laughs> I think Reese Witherspoon is having another hot moment right now. She's had a couple of hit shows. 
I guess so. <laughs> and so she goes back to that stuff. And it'll show up, it'll be her as a professor and how hard she is on the students and there'll be a blah, bright blah, young blah. student who's also a blonde and she'll remember how she was when she Except was Except for it'll be a boy. I guarantee it'll be a boy. A gay boy. Maybe a gay boy. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, that that's just story gold right there. There you go. It works for the times. Perfect. Uh, this one surprised me. Disney's live action Aladdin 2. Uh? So there uh. was a VH, direct-to-VHS sequel to Aladdin, was, Aladdin 2 Return of Jafar. It was pretty popular, too. And it did pretty good. Yeah. Um, I don't know what this could be. And plus, with the whole Will Smith thing happening, are they bringing him back as a genie? I don't know. Yeah, man, I, that's a that is a tall order right now. <laughs> it is. Maybe they'll find a way to do it without him because the movie totally works without the genie. Yeah, <laughs> I never uh, saw the now, live action. This one, one I think, the most surprising okay. of all of them: Demolition Man Two. Ooh. Tell me more. <laughs> I don't know anymore. It's really far out right now. I'm going to assume Stallone signed on for them to even. Oh, yeah. Begin. I don't know. Wesley Snipes died in the last one. He did. That's true. It could be a new so villain. I don't know if it's possible for him to come back. I mean, science Plus, stuff. They cloned him or something. Right. And, but mind you, Wesley Snipes is kind of on the out right now. Mm. He almost had a comeback and then kind of disappeared. It didn't quite work. Um. So, yeah, I don't know, dude. Sandra Bullock's available. <laughs> Actually, no, she's not. She, uh, after her last film, I heard this on a podcast. She's she's um, temporarily taking a break from acting for a few years. Okay. Um, because she wants to be with her kids. Good she had, for you, Sandra. She had kids pretty later in life, and so she now wants to just take a break for a while. And so I don't think she'll eh, be available. She's concentrated on her career. I yeah, get it. Exactly. So now she's, you know, spend time with the kids. So just alone, I guess. <laughs> yeah, just alone. Uh, I'm in the uh, future, all right? I'm going to Muppets uh, again. Uh, uh, I'm bringing back everything I did, so here comes the Muppets. What's up with these uh, three shells? How do you uh, use them <laughs> in the crapper? Fuck shit, damn bitch. <laughs> just the cursing machine. Yeah, I love that. That was pretty good. <laughs> Rob Schneider. What's Rob Schneider doing? He'll be back. Oh, he'll At the be, very least, Rob Schneider will be back. He'll be knocking down their door. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, I think that takes us on to our main segment. Fire we're going to talk about Firestarter. Well, this movie, Drew Barrymore plays a little girl named Charlie who has fire starting powers and her father has some minor mind control abilities and they're on the run from the government agents after her mother was murdered. Played uh, by Heather Locklear, a- by the way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, young Heather Locklear. Uh, they were part of a government experiment way that way back in the day, and both the mother and father are two of the only people that responded well to it. So, of course, Charlie got powers, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we then get a flashback to the ma- man finding his wife murdered, his daughter taken. He uses his mental ba- abilities to free her, and they get away. Now they're on the run. The government eventually catches up to them and uh, as the father and the daughter, and they take refuge with this old sweet couple out in the country. Uh, but the government finds them. We get our first big taste of what the little girl can do. And she sets multiple people on fire. She blows up a car mm-hmm. uh, and they're, they're on the run again, this time to a remote lakeside that somehow is going to be different. 
Uh, they enjoy a few days of solitude before uh, the agents find them again. And this time they tranquilize them both before approaching them and take them both captive. Uh, they're both taken to a compound. The father's kept under sedation and the daughter is studied. And the an agent who's like a real mean old guy pretends to be a janitor to befriend her. It's really creepy on a lot of levels. And he's played by, which I didn't even realize it was him until afterwards, George C. Scott. Oh, yeah. From uh, what's that? The the bomb movie Patton. from Patton and from uh, the yeah. Other, yeah. And Martin Sheen is the head of the government agency, too, which I was surprised. Like, oh, Martin Sheen. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, the father starts avoiding his meds and like spitting them out while the little girl gets put through trials and tests to see the extent of her power, all while promising that she's going to see her dad soon. The father now undrugged mind controls Sheen, the agent, and arranges for his daughter to escape by taking her to the barn at night and they're going to get away. Yeah. Well, she is so excited about this. She goes and tells her janitor friend the creepy janitor not knowing he's an agent who goes and sets a trap for them and then shoots and kills her father and she goes full on carry mm-hmm. wind blowing in her hair she th- burns up multiple guys in heat resistant suit she starts throwing fireballs yeah she burns the janitor so bad that you you like get to watch him melt <laughs> Dozens of agents dead, and with all of her pursuers dead, she somehow hitchhikes hitchhikes her way back to the nice old couple who presumably take her in and live happily ever after. Yeah, a very unplausible ending, but otherwise, yeah. Until she sets the barn on fire again. (laughs) Oopsie! (laughs) Don't piss her off. Um, So, general impression of this movie, I don't think I'd ever seen it. Had you ever really seen it? I'd never seen this, no. I think this still, because a lot of the effects were practical, it is very time locked. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not sent in the current, but everything is very well produced. Um, it holds up really well. It does. Surprisingly well. And they talk about that. I watched like a little behind the scenes video that was apparently on HBO back in the 80s of them making this. And it's Spielberg, not Spielberg, um, uh, Kev, uh, Stephen King and others, people who made the movie talking about how they had to make everything practical. And so like all those, the fireballs were even real things that were on these like pulley systems and stuff. And it just, yeah, it works. Like you're like, that's real fire. It's a real explosion. That's a guy who's really on fire. You know, it's just, it's nuts. Um, some things I liked, uh, I like that they opened with a chase. Yeah. It got us in right away. We didn't know why they were on the run. We got the littlest glimpse of the dad's powers without any of hers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just a good hook, really good hook. And I liked that they didn't over reveal her power. Right. Like, obviously, the name of the movie is Firestarter. <laughs> so you have some idea, but they didn't have her burn a man alive right off the bat. They they showed the toast thing and then her setting the guy's shoes on fire. It slowly grew. Her burning yeah. her mom. And it wasn't until uh, the agents came to the old folks house where she like blew up cars and set multiple people on fire that they really revealed it. And it's cool because it's not like other movies we've talked about where the powers are undefined and confusing. It's this because she's figuring it out, too. She doesn't even know what the extent of her powers are. And we have the line from Martin Sheen's character where he's like, or the, the, the weird scientist guy saying that it's based off her pituitary gland. So if she starts going through puberty, it's just basically going to go nuts. And so, like, she could blow up the world, basically. Which, that was pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, I. I, I I don't really have anything to complain about in this film. My maybe one half complaint is that some of the like time jumpy kind of stuff mm-hmm. 
I don't know, maybe would have been belt, dealt better with sequentially. Yeah, or just do it all at once instead of going back several times was kind of confusing. Yeah, yeah. I think that might be my only real complaint about this movie. Yeah, I think the good things I liked about it was the same as you and just fantastic cast. Um, I think the father-daughter um, chemistry was fantastic. Um, like that actor, I, I've, I've seen him in a few things since then. Not much, but he's, he's budget Kurt Russell. His yeah. Name's David, David Keith, <laughs> but he was, he was just like so good with Drew Barrymore. Like it felt like he, they really loved each other and she was amazing in this. Like, I can't believe how young she was and just did that good of a job. And then you also, once again, you mentioned Martin Sheen, George C. Scott, Art Carney. Yeah. As the old man, <laughs> uh, Antonio Fargus, who's been a working actor forever. Uh, young Heather Locklear, of course, Louise Fletcher, who's been a working actress forever. And like when they were just falling in love at the experimental site, when they're on the drugs, like staring that shot, just staring at Heather Locklear. I'm like, dear God, she's beautiful. <laughs> like her eyes were just piercing. Yeah, like, like I get early it. Man. Heather Locklear. Holy crap. Whew, I just didn't realize. Um, but yeah, I, I and also some great 80s music synthesizer music throughout was pretty fantastic. Um, small uh, little tidbits here uh not tidbits what's the word nitpicks there we go nitpicks uh i I usually watch these things in my office on my nice studio headphones so um i don't usually notice this too much but in this movie especially the first half a lot of the sound mixing was really bad um and also the camera was shaking on tripods sometimes i think like they had must have just filmed this real fast and they had didn't have much choice and they had to use that take because i just noticed these little things like you know the sound effects didn't quite match to the footfalls and like they did a lot of looping where they recorded things afterwards that weren't quite matching the mouths. And there was just little tiny things like that. But I mean, that's just little nitpicky filmmaking stuff, but yeah, um, I mean that what that spells to me is like, all right, 80% of this budget's going to fire effects. Yeah. We can't so do we a second take percent for the rest of the stuff guys. <laughs> Another thing too, I was, I thought was kind of, that could have changed was um, cause it kind of brought me out of the movie was the uh, George C. Scott, crazy killer, native American guy. Um, especially when he, he just would kill people indiscriminately, especially the the postal killer, postal worker was the biggest. I didn't me. understand <laughs> that at at all. So basically, like, him and another agent understand that they pretend their car's broken down so that they can stop this postal worker from delivering mail from the father because he wanted to mail all the news organizations to tell them about this whole story and how the government's chasing him. So they stop the mailman in the middle of the road to, to pretend they need, they need help fixing their car. And then they just brutally murder him and then leave him in his car and leave the, the mail truck in the middle of the road. And like my question and all that is, how did they know? I don't know. Did they establish how they knew it was that town? Oh, they, yeah. How did you know was it was that day the father was going to be mailing it? Yeah. Somehow did they, they had an old lady other agent prior there. postal workers or they just went around the tri-county area murdering postal workers well no they had the old lady who spy who's a spy there in that town and i'm oh my god i forgot about that yeah so this old lady you think she's in a shop she's just staring at the father as he's about to deliver these these uh, this mail and she goes to a phone and calls the the government organization saying he's here um and i'm guessing they if they could have explained this better with like one line by saying we had her stationed there because that's where his grandfather's old home is which would make sense they'd have an agent there waiting right. for him but it was yeah there was that one little line of dialogue but why didn't they just like like trick the mailman, get his get his bag, and then let him go. Like it's just yeah, and they just left him in the road. Yeah, in the middle of the road. Like that's gonna be so easily found. But anyways, other than that, nothing really stood out as like really you know big plot. And then later on, he murders the doctor guy too. Yeah, 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 he did. And you get to see how sadistic he is because he wakes him up with like a feather by tickling his nose, and then chops his nose into his face. 
and he wanted to do the same thing to Charlie when they were done with her. He was he was really screwed up. Like that was a evil evil character. <laughs> they played Very that really dark. well. Dark. And apparently, like the there's a, a Firestarter two which came out like in two thousand two or something like that. That sounds right. And it's supposed to be an actual direct sequel, and for some reason, uh, Malcolm McDowell plays um, the George C. Scott character, and he's still alive somehow. It's what? weird. It makes no sense. <laughs> but it's anyways. got Marguerite Moreau in it. Yeah, I, I shouldn't understand. Firestarter Rekindled. Rekindled. It was a TV miniseries. On Sci-Fi Channel. Wow. Yeah. So we actually have a fair bit of trivia and for this. Dennis Hopper. Oh, Dennis Hopper's in it too, yeah. Oh my God, what is this? <laughs> so some great trivia for this movie. I, it's a little bit more than usual just because it's, some, it's a good movie and there's some cool stuff that happened. Um, so prophetically, a few years before she was cast in the film, six-year-old Drew Barrymore's mother thought that Drew resembled the girl on the source novel's paperback dust jacket. And uh, Drew once said, my mom had seen this book at the grocery store with a picture of a little girl on it. And she said, gee, this looks kind of like you. She said it was OK if I bought it. And so I did. And when I read it, I came into the kitchen where my mom was making dinner and said, I'm the fire starter. I'm Charlie McGee. But she didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> so that's pretty weird. She wrote read that book way too young, probably. Um, George C. Scott wears an eye patch over his left eye during the final hour of the film, which was due to the infection caused by the contact lens used earlier in the film. The eye was not quite healed and had to wear it. He had to wear it to complete the filming of his scenes, which is crazy. Uh, in order to get Oscar winner George C. Scott in the part of John Rainbird, who's supposed to be like a Native American, Dino De, De Laurentiis, the producer, went directly to Universal Pictures to request an additional $1 million so they could cast him in the film. So they really wanted Whoa. him in that part. That's a lot of money back in 1984. Uh, yeah, that's $1984. That's yeah. like $17 billion. <laughs> billion. Now. This film was originally going to be directed by John Carpenter of Halloween fame and The Thing uh, and Bill Lancaster, who wrote the screenplay for The Thing, uh, even wrote a draft for this film. But according to Carpenter, Universal executives removed both of them from the project in the wake of the box office and critical uh, bombing of The Thing, because The Thing did really bad in the box office as well. It only later on got a cult following. Uh, and so that's kind of funny that they missed out doing that because The Thing did so badly. Uh, and they said, yeah, the old man who, who helps them is called Art Carney, and he's famous from The Honeymooners um, and other movies as well. And his wife was played by none other than Nurse Ratchet uh, from the What's-His-Face, the, 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 the movie Jack Nicholson. I'm forgetting One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I didn't realize that was Nurse Ratchet until a little later, who is also a Star Trek connection. She plays uh, uh, Kai, Kai <laughs> Wynn on uh, Star Trek D Space Nine. So, yeah, Star Trek connection. Nice. In a 2010 interview, director uh, Mark L. Lester of the film confirmed that this was the most difficult film that he had ever made. He said that was all practical effects. The fireballs you see, that's not CGI. Back then, we actually created fireballs that could fly through the air. They were on a wire and could crash into buildings. We had people on fire that were on trampolines that had to flip through the air. It was very dangerous. All the effects were done right on set. It was a pretty intense thing to do. <laughs> so it makes sense. Martin Sheen uh, took over at a late stage from Burt Lancaster, who was originally going to play his part, but he withdrew uh, following heart surgery. So it wasn't going to be Burt Lancaster. Uh, and Jennifer Connelly, very young Jennifer Connelly, before Labyrinth, was considered for Charlie before Drew Barrymore got the part. Okay. And uh, Drew Barrymore had to be filmed on a soundstage for certain scenes, including the climactic burn barn fire, which were shot at night because the production could not have... They couldn't have her work all night long, so they had to put, do her things on a soundstage. 
they also used a little person lookalike as a double for her, which makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And the last thing, uh, which is kind of interesting, Mark L. Lester, the director, said he never understood why Stephen King hated this film. Because apparently Stephen King hated it later on. Um, he said during an interview, I knew he hated The Shining because that movie was not his book. But in the case of Firestarter, he had approved the script. He even worked on it. He was on the set and we talked about everything we were doing. He loved everything. The one thing that he especially criticized, the wind blowing through Drew Barrymore's hair, that was his idea to begin with. And at the time, he practically hated every movie that was made from any of his books. Fin- finally, the, dr- the producer got so fed up with him, he said, OK, you direct your own movie. Well, that was the absolute worst Stephen King film ever. So there you go. Uh, but he's a great writer and I don't want to get in a fight with him. That's what he said. <laughs> I think Stephen King directed was it not Christine. He directed one of his movies that did completely bombed, but he was actually the director for it. Anyway, I got to look. Yeah, I can't remember which one he directed. Director one. What was it? Let's see. Writer. I got to get past all the other credits. A lot of them. producer director. He directed Maximum Overdrive. Oh, the truck one, right? <laughs> yeah, that's actually a pretty good movie. It was fun. It was fun. But that brings us to the end of our Firestarter segment. But now we're going to go on to a related segment and one that hasn't been around in quite some time. And that, of course, is preternatural penetration. Yeah. I missed that music. It's been a long time. It has been a minute. All right. So for this preternatural penetration, try saying that three times fast. We have um, real life fire starters. Um, And this collection of cases were put together by the wonderful writer Brent Swanser over at MysteriousUniverse.org. It's actually one of my favorite paranormal websites and podcasts because – they're much like me. They find this stuff fascinating, but they don't take it too seriously. They're not like necessarily true believers, but they like telling the stories because they're interesting stories. Um, and he starts off by saying Stephen King was actually the one who created the term pyrokinesis, controlling fire with your mind. That was actually him in this book that uh, created that. But we have cases of this stuff happening all the way from back to the 19th century. So we have a 10-year-old girl named Elizabeth Barnes who was accused of setting her mo- uh, the mother of another man named John Wright on fire simply by looking at her. And he was so positive she was responsible for his mother's death that he took her to court over it. And apparently Elizabeth had set many fires and sparks around his mother in the past, but this time she set her, her dress on fire, seriously injuring her. And the judge actually found the girl guilty but didn't proclaim to know how she did it. So she actually was, you know, got jail time for that as a little girl. Then there was a 12-year-old servant girl named Ann Kidner in 1878, and while living on a farm, haystacks and other objects appeared to catch fire when she was near them, and apparently objects moved around her as well, and she was arrested for possibly tossing matches and doing this on purpose, but they never found any evidence of that, and they were convinced she was starting them with her mind. And then we have Willie Broch in 1886, who was expelled from school because apparently he started, he could set things on fire with a glance. And apparently he was just he was just as startled and scared when these fires would start around him. So it wasn't like he was doing it on purpose. But his parents kicked him out of the house thinking he was possessed by the devil because it was 1886. Then there was a man named A.W. Underwood in 1882 who could apparently start things on fire by breathing on them. And he did this in front of all different people. And no matter how they tried to figure out what he was doing, no one could figure it out. And that's all we hear about that. Then there was 14-year-old Jenny Bramwell on a farm in Toronto in 1891 uh, who went into a coma. And when she woke up, she looked up at the ceiling and said, look at that. And when her parents looked up at the ceiling, it was on fire. A huge sheet of fire was on the ceiling. 
Uh, and then she started setting other things on fire as well, and her parents sent her to an orphanage <laughs> just to get rid of her. Then there's 16-year-old Rhoda Colwell in 1895, all these girls in the 1800s with these abilities. Uh, mm-hmm. she, she kept setting fires around her with no apparent source until finally burning down her Brooklyn home. Uh, the firefighters and police that arrived saw with their very eyes when fires began to just erupt around her. Uh, and the police captain apparently said, I can attribute it to no other cause than a supernatural agency, which is faulty reasoning, but go for it, man. And in 1929, we have Lily White. That's apparently her real name in the West Indies island of Antigua. And apparently her clothes and bed sheets would constantly catch fire and burn up. But she was always left perfectly fine. It was never explained what was happening. And it is unknown what happened to her. So there you go. Uh, 1950, we have a man in Mexico who wanted his wife dead because he was seeing a new woman. So he brought her to a restaurant, sat her down, and then his eyes started bulging out of his head and his mouth was wide open. And she just burst into flames in front of many witnesses. And she quickly burnt all the way down to the bone, like like basically a pile of dust. And he was arrested for her murder, uh, but they never figured out how he did it. But they put him in prison for her murder. That was actually a real story in 1950. Don't know what happened. Maybe she blew up or who knows. Uh, then a teenage boy in 1982, we're getting more modern here, uh, he could set things on fire when he held them in his hands, and people said his hands would glow before it happened. Uh, he then was able to start setting things on fire across the room, and he was studied by a paranormal investigator, but suspiciously never allowed any further scientific or medical testing. And eventually he stopped mm. talking about his power and lived on in obscurity. We never found out what happened to him, and just he allowed no further investigation, so who knows? And finally, we have a three-year-old girl. This is in 2011 in the Philippines. Okay. Uh, She would name an object in the room, then say fire, and it would catch on fire. She was three years old. And apparently, journalists and police officers witnessed the ability, but suspiciously, their cameras wouldn't work around her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the story just kind of disappears, and we have no idea what happened to this girl, who would now be 14 years old. So... There you this go. This all sounds like witchcraft accusations to me, but <laughs> I know. And some kind of accidental fires that happened around these people. They're but, like little shitty pyromaniac kids. Yeah. And they're lying about it to their parents. Oh, it's magic. My mind it. made it do it. <laughs> so there's just some real real in quotation stories of actual pyrokinesis. But that brings us to our next segment of Radical Recommends. If you have the means, I highly recommend picking one up. What do you recommend I do? I recommend Pleasant. All right, well, this week, Radical Recommends, I'm here to rescind a recommend. Uh-oh. A rescind a rescindment. You still there? <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. You again? Okay. <laughs> and with the Madonna dropping out, I'm like, I don't know. Just got real quiet. Uh, well, probably years ago at this point, uh, we got an Instapot. Yeah. And we loved it for a little while. Great. Uh, I'm saying just stick with your slow cooker. What makes you say that? Because unless you need to cook something very fast, (laughs) very fast, you're going to be better off with an all around solution like a slow cooker. Mm -hmm. If you regularly need to make a huge roast in 50 minutes, sure. (laughs) Get okay. Get an Instapot. Get a pressure cooker. But if you are like most human beings and you just want to throw stuff into a pot in the morning and have yummy dinner dinner at night, the crock pot's the much better all around thing. It takes less maintenance. Uh, 
and so we just we, we're back to a, a crock pot. The air fryer has stood the test of time. I still recommend the air fryer. All right. <laughs> but the Instapot has not. So, I mean, it's I guess it makes sense if your schedule allows for it. Like you said, if you have time in the morning to prep all that stuff and do it in the morning to prepare for that night. But I guess my, my thing is that I kind of came to the realization of is that it's not less prep than the Instapot. Instapot and slow cooker have the exact same amount of prep time. So it takes 15 minutes to get ready in one, 15 minutes the other. But the difference is with like a crock pot, you know, I do, there are probably Instapots that do this, the fancier models, but I can put it on a timer, Mm -hmm. pour everything in and have it turn on two hours before I get home from work Hmm. and have soup, you know? So we, we are back to the crock pot and I recommend it. And I rescind my recommend for the Instapot. Hey, I still like my Instapot, but, uh, I have a slow cooker, too. I just never used it before. So <laughs> we'll see. It's just sitting vacant. <laughs> Pretty much. But I, I do every plate, which is like a delivery f- food service. So we have a recipes we make every week. And so I just cook every night, basically some new recipe. Um, and that's been a lot of fun. So I don't do a lot of crock potty stuff anyways. But I will probably when I, you know, eventually have a family and need, need to feed a lot more people. A crock pot's great for that. So, yeah, I, I totally. Uh, that. But yeah, air fryer stood the test time. Instapot is not. Nice. And before we move on to any other segment, Steve, I realized that we did not give a proper rating to the original Firestarter. Oh, man. Did we do that with the movies? (laughs) I don't know, but I think we should. (laughs) Oh, man. It's just Gary Busey wind blowing through his hair. And he's like, I got some matches in my back pocket. (laughs) I'm going to give this uh, a, a three Raul Julia's standing around all of the government agents blowing them up with their mind and saying today is a tuesday <laughs> that's right <laughs> anyways yeah so uh we're moving on now to some uh trailer reviews all right so this week uh we are uh reviewing kind of two trailers but basically one big trailer put together of jurassic world dominion trailers one and two which are both available now online. I didn't know a first one had come out, and so I finally I watched both of them at the same time. Yeah, and two has a lot of the same footage as one, but two is expanded. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's got all the original cast apparently coming back from the original movie, uh, which yeah. is pretty cool. Uh, including, That's kind of nuts. Including uh, the new cast of, of, of Chris Pratt and uh, not Jessica Chastain. I always get the confused. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah. <laughs> But then you got Laura Dern and uh, God, what's his name? Stephen Grant. But what's his yeah, name? Doctor Stephen Grant. I <laughs> yeah. just can't remember his name. Ellie Sattler, Stephen Grant, Ian. <laughs> Jurassic Park. God damn it! What's his name? Sam McNeil. Sam McNeil. Sam McNeil. <laughs> New Zealand Zone. Sam McNeil. <laughs> um, Jeff Goldblum. And Jeff Goldblum. So I and Hen, the guy who played Henry Wu in the original one. Oh, yeah. And I think he was back in the first of the Jurassic World. Yes. He's got a cool character. He's kind of like the, the mad genius behind actually making all this stuff happen. In and, the books, he's like, he is the guy. In the movie, the first movie, they really kind of undersell him as like a lab tech. Yeah, he has a small role. But then that actor actually got a lot of cool uh, acting parts later on. Um, um, so, yeah, they made him more prominent now. So, like, yeah, dinosaurs living side by side with man, but they're starting to reproduce somehow. And take over more of the world. And there's people trying to capture them and maybe put them in a zoo in Italy, maybe. Or Paris. I couldn't tell. Some European city. Yeah. Some old actual old buildings in history. 
uh, velociraptors running through the streets, hugely a pleurodon attacking boats at sea. Uh, a lot of visual language from the original. Like we get that, that shot of uh, Ian waving uh, a burning stick. Yeah. Like he did with the flare in the first one. Um, we got the, there's a helicopter being attacked by a pterodactyl. Oh yeah. So I don't know. I think this is going to be a big, I don't have high hopes for this film to be anything other than a popcorn movie. Yeah, I mean, I think I saw the second one in this new Jurassic World trilogy. Was there a second one? There was. I think that one was real bad. I just remember it not being even very entertaining. The first Jurassic World I thought was kind of fun. The first one with Chris Pratt and everything. and That the, oh, it was great. Yeah, I, I was very entertained. I had the Jimmy Buffett cameo and everything. <laughs> but then the second one was so forgettable, I, I just barely remember I even saw it. It was just so bad. It was like a, an auction of dinosaurs or something. Uh, I don't know. But this one. Oh, I, yeah. I, I hope this one's You're as, not wrong. I hope this one's as fun as these the first one of this trilogy and is a good ending to this whole franchise. Just, just stop it. Just end it now. Because we're already learning yeah. so many things about how dinosaurs actually look that go against this movie and how it works. At one uh, point there's a Velociraptor with feathers who dives under the ice and attacks them underwater. Okay, so they have some feathered dinosaurs then. All right. Yeah, they have at least one they showed, but it can also swim. Mm, okay. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> And I will say I highly recommend anyone who has Netflix to go watch the uh, the movies that made us Jurassic Park episode because um, the story of how the original movie came to be is pretty awesome and amazing and it just barely made it to the screen in the way it looks now. It's it's a really fascinating story. Um, and now it's spawned this entire giant franchise and they still can't make the dinosaurs look as good as they did in the original movie. The original it still looks so good. It looks so good. Like they look so CGI computer crap now. Like they just look so much better back then. I don't know why. But it's fantastic. Man, we're getting old. <laughs> oh, uh, well, yeah. I guess that brings us to the end of episode 146 of A Play on Nerds. Join us next time where to honor another big summer blockbuster, Top Gun Maverick. We're going to be honoring another military sequel, Iron Eagle 2. Yeah. <laughs> and if you've been with A Play on Nerds for a long time, we did a copycat cinema that was Top Gun versus Iron Eagle. And so we think this is only appropriate. It was a stellar episode. It was stellar. (laughs) Come check it out. Uh, So thanks for joining us. We will keep on coming back to be your nerdy co-hosts. If you keep on coming back to be our nerdy audience. Thanks again, Internet. Stay nerdy, my friends. Thanks for listening to A Play on Nerds. Feel free to email feedback at aplayonnerds.com with all your questions or comments. Shoot us a message on Facebook or Twitter and earn yourself a sweet shout out on the show. Review us on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts so even more nerds can find us. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, we aren't picky. Check out our entire back catalog and other offerings at aplayonnerds.com. And how? How?